Happy New Year. Happy New Year. My wife sends her greetings as well. She is away. Our oldest son who just turned 14, Asa. I'm so grateful he's 14 because it, I felt, it feels better saying your 14-year-old is taller than you than your 11-year-old is taller than you. So each birthday makes me feel a little bit more uh, like an adult uh, for him. But uh, they're away at a basketball tournament, and we are parents before we are anything else. Uh, and so I encourage you as well, if you have children, be a parent before you're anything else, except a spouse. Be a spouse, then a parent. I'll preach that later. But she sends her uh, Happy New Year greetings. New Year. New Year. Come on, it's like, there's just something about a new year, right? It's like that fresh car smell. You know what I'm talking about? I played uh, tennis in high school, and we'd open up a fresh can of tennis balls. That, and that just smell, and you pull. I don't play tennis anymore because Jasper Gay beat me when he was 70, and so I just, I put that, I, that was a sign for me that God said, you're done, Christoph. I said, yes, Lord, I am. But that moment where something new, you get into that fresh car smell. You know when you get a car that's new, that smells new, and that first day you get in, you realize it no longer smells new, and you realize, I need a new car, just for the car smell. <laughs> it's just a moment, right? January 1st, it's just a, a calendar flip. It's just another day, but it's also something else, isn't it? It's also something else. There's a sudden shift that takes place. Relational, emotional slates have gotten clean. Leaves got or are getting turned over in people's lives. All of a sudden, everybody has running attire. <laughs> Gyms are full. And the context of our now moment is rife with fresh starts. It's exploding with opportunities to begin again for something new to take place in our lives. January 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, as we open up this new year. This is also magnified, I believe, by the broader cultural context that we live in. It's not just because it's a new year, but our culture is built for the moment. Our culture is built for the short term, specifically for using up, for moving on, for, for disposing of, all for the sake oftentimes of getting the same something but different. Are you with me? When I was little, when I was a little boy, we had things called VCRs. And I remember our VCR would break on the routine. It would break itself, it would break the tapes. We did not throw the VCR away, we fixed it. I know that word doesn't mean anything to many of you in this room, fixed, what's that? We would take the VCR tape out. We would extract it, painstakingly extract it as it tried to be eaten by the machine. And we would take scissors and we would take toothpicks and every other sharp, small object and get the tape out. We would roll it back up. We would flatten it out. We would repair the VCR. If we had to, we would take it to a repair shop, a shop where things were repaired or shoes when I was a little boy. My shoes would wear out in an odd fashion. My right big toe is the leader of the pack and would, would, would run through the sole of my shoe before everything else. The shoes would be intact except my toe would be poking out to be like, hey, hey, I'm here. And I'd be like, dad, I need new shoes. It's like, no, we need to fix your old shoes. There's that word again, fix. We take it to a cobbler. There was a cobbler. Do you know what a cobbler is? A person who repairs shoes. Down on Prince George Street, where Baskin Robbins is, there was a cobbler. Yes, Williamsburg had a cobbler. 
And we would take my shoes to the college when they would get fixed. When I was in high school, we got Birkenstocks. And my big toe just tore through, ate through the Birkenstock. I don't know how many times we got new soles. I was like, Dad, can I just please get some new ones? No, we can fix them. Can we get new? No, we can fix them. Can we get new? No, we're going to repair them. Can we get, can we get new? No, I'm, if you ask me one more time, I'm going to get a new son. We fix things. I remember when I was little, we had milk delivered to our house in a glass jar. And then we left the old glass jar and it would somehow disappear and it would come back the next week with more milk. And we used these glass jars over and over and over again. My point bringing this up is that even though we are inundated with this notion that we rid ourselves we, we dispose things, we, we trash much of our lives around us. We can't imagine a world without that type of existence, that when we're done, we throw it away. When it's used up, we move on. But it's really pretty new. We'll use uh, cutlery as a small case study. Forks, knives, and spoons, cutlery. Big word for you all to learn, New Year. There you go. Do you know that Plastic cutlery was invented in the 1940s and 50s. Put it in the mainstream just 70 years ago. Just on an aside, as we're talking about cutlery, the spork needs to be mentioned. The spork was invented in the 1970s, and I just, there's no reason for that in the context of this message, except that I think the spork is an incredible invention. But we use our utensils, these plastic utensils, and we use them once and we throw them away. Oftentimes, we don't even use them once. Do I have any people who break forks and knives on a regular? Is it just me? Snapping off, you got to dodge, you get caught in the eye with a flying fang of a fork. But we throw it away. We dispose our cutlery. The attitude and activity of moving on affects other areas of our lives more than just our cutlery. There used to be a day that we'd have to wear out our clothes before we went and got new ones. But now we just get it because it's new. Because we saw a commercial, because we saw somebody wearing it. We, we, we saw that. Do you need that? No, but I want it. And so we don't wear things out anymore. We just go get something new. And we throw away the old. We do that with cars. My children don't have a car. They will never own a car. We have two cars in the Fahrenbach home. We have a, a 1999 Nissan Sentra. It's beautiful. It runs fine. I mean, it hiccups. You got to start it when it's below 60 degrees. Most of the windows work. But it gets you from point A to point B most of the time without any anxiety. Asa and Jude are like, Dad, when are you going to get a new car? I'm like, what's wrong with the old one? Dad, it's old. You see all the new cars driving around, Dad? You see that, that new commercial? That leasing option? But there's nothing wrong with this. Let's get rid of it. Let's move on. Let's trash it. Let's dispose ourselves of something we no longer want and get something just because it's new. Let's trash it and move on and get something new. The house. Been in our house for five years. Kids are like... Yeah, it's all right. When are we, we going to get a new house? Somebody else got a new house. Can we get a new house? I don't think you understand the concept of a house. <laughs> Have we outgrown this house? No. Do we need a new one? No. Dad, I can write an argument. Your argument is wrong. 
Man, my wife is getting on my nerves. That lady at work, she's real nice to me. The work that it's going to take to move on in this relationship is no longer worth it. I'd rather dispose of it and move on to something better. I've had the conversation 43 times. It's time to move on. It's time to to rid myself of this uh, marital relationship, this husband, this wife, and it's time for me. it's It's not really a long jump between our cutlery to our spouses. Because our attitude and our activity is like, if I don't like this anymore, if it doesn't serve them anymore, I'm done with it, I'll move on. Maybe I'm being a bit dramatic in my description, but I'm not being disingenuous. Opting out is accessible with alarming ease. Moving on is commonplace. Disposable is way too available. This church is dumb. (laughs) Disposable should not be this available. Don't get me wrong, I love starting over. I'm grateful for opportunities to begin again. I'm grateful for a wife, Tanya, who have been married for 16 plus years, who've been together for about over 20 years. I am so grateful, even this week, she's given me new new beginnings. She's giving me fresh opportunities. She's forgiving me daily. We had a couple uh, in our church over for dinner one night last week, and they're just getting to know each other. They're moving towards engagement. They're moving towards getting married. And uh, they were saying, we want a marriage like yours. And my wife and I had just had an argument that morning. (laughs) And I literally laughed out loud. And she looked at me like, snip And they were describing their, their, the, 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 the things that they do when they talk to each other. And they were talking about the, the conflicts and the confrontations and how they want to learn to work through it, how they want, want to learn to never have that happen. And my wife was talking and I was talking. I said, like, you know what? I just did this yesterday. And they looked at me like, hmm? And my wife looked at me and she said, you're right. And I forgave you. And we're starting fresh. And there are times I look at her like, baby, it's okay. We can move on. I'm grateful for children who look at me when I lose my temper. And Jude says, when I get a little bit too amped at his baseball games, or I was at Ace's basketball game yesterday, I got a little bit too amped with the referees because they were always wrong. <laughs> and Asa came over. We were talking about how to navigate the emotions. And Jude was like, it's, Jude was incredible. Jude was like, Dad, he probably needs to do this a little bit more. Asa needs to grow emotionally. He needs to maybe tweak this a little bit. I'm like, yes, yes, you are right. But can we apply some of that to your life as well? My children come from their emotional dispensation pretty honestly. And I'm grateful that Jude and Asa look at me and say, and when I apologize, because I apologize on the regular to my children. They look at me and say, it's okay, Dad. I love you. Don't do it again. <laughs> no, don't ever say that, Jude. They've never said that. They won't ever say that because that's not honoring. <laughs> but I'm grateful for friends. Justin, who I've known for decades now, who picks me up. Brady Hassel, who looks in my life and says, hey, it's okay, man. Come on. Let's go again. I'm grateful for the fresh opportunities. I'm grateful for Jordan Luck, who has known me and and walked with me and been able to say, hey, you know what, you're going to do okay, it's fine. Let's go together into the future. I'm grateful for people who help me turn over the new leaves. Every morning I crave those fresh mercies that the scriptures speak of as they draw with the rising of the sun. I find myself oftentimes 
asking for night to come quickly because I want the morning to start. Anybody with me? Because even in the scriptures, I don't need the scriptures to tell me that the mercies are fresh every morning. I feel it when I wake up. Not because I follow Jesus, but because God has placed that ability in my soul to respond to that which he has set in motion. If you're wondering, why do I feel better in the morning than when I do when I go to sleep at night? It's because God is real. His mercies are new every morning. I don't know Jesus. You don't know, have to know Jesus to know his mercy. And what I'd like to do, just for this split second, is for you to recognize when you wake up tomorrow morning and you feel better in the morning than you did at night, even though your circumstances haven't changed, that is a recognition and a declaration that God is good and his mercies are new. And you need to have a relationship with him. But I want to submit to you that the new God has for us is not mutually exclusive from the old. Some old things that are within us or around us. In fact, some of the old things, when we engage them well, help make us a new thing. When we lean into the old things that God has set in motion, those old things actually help us become a new thing. I'm going to start our new year by discussing some of those old things while we're moving on, starting over. Listen to me, I'm not here to tell you, hey, don't go to the gym. <laughs> I'm not saying don't go running or start that new diet or that lifestyle of eating or whatever, that fresh beginning where you're not going to be rude anymore. Hey, do all of those things. But I think we would be well served to embrace the truth that some things should stay. While we're moving stuff out, we're boxing, whatever, do you know that this time of year is one of the one of the most populated times of year where people move houses because they have accumulated so much stuff and they realize, and as they're packing up to put it away, there's nowhere to put it, so they just get a new house. That's crazy sauce. Just get rid of stuff. But in the midst of getting rid of some stuff, I would submit to you that some things should stay. So I wanna, we're going to lean into a series over the course of the next several weeks called Don't Move That. Don't Move that. Our passage of scripture that we're going to read in Proverbs 22 and verse 28. Do not move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. Jesus declares in Matthew chapter 5, Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the written word of God. We thank you for the rhema, the spoken word of God. We thank you that you are speaking to every heart, soul, and mind today. We ask for ears to hear all that you have to say. Mold us, shape us, make us more into your image. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. amen. So for those of you who are like me, you're slightly type A, maybe a little OCD, I want to tell you the things that we're going to suggest should never be moved from our lives. And maybe your list would be different, and maybe in the next several months my list would be different. Our list as a church would be different, but I want to give you what some of those pieces are that we believe should not move from our lives. Next week my wife is going to speak on Jesus. No matter what is going on in your life, no matter what you believe or don't believe, we believe that Jesus should always be present. 
We believe confession should be a part of your world. We believe worship should be a part of your circumstance. We believe prayer should be something we daily invest in. We believe friendship is something that we all need to walk in. We believe generosity is something that we all should never move out of our lives. It's not based on a bank account. Generosity should never move. And we will conclude with struggle. Struggle should never be something that moves from our existence. But today, I want to speak about God's word. When you talk about things that shouldn't move in your life, God's word is right up there on the list. Now, while we here at Life Church believe in the primacy of God's word, we believe in the priority of God's word, we believe even more in the productivity of God's word. God's word is not vital because it's number one. God's word is not vital because it should be first. God's word is vital for us because it's meant to be for us. It's meant to make us fruitful in who we are and who we're supposed to be. 2 Timothy 3.16, which I'll read in a few moments, is oftentimes spoken of the, 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 the word of God is inspired for reproof, instruction. That word inspired also is used in times of scripture that's breathed into, that it is created. It's, it's hearkening back to, as Paul writes the words in 2 Timothy 3, he's hearkening back to the Genesis uh, poem about creation, where God, with his word, speaks things into existence. He inspires and puts into motion with his breath and with his words all of creation. We see Jesus doing this in John chapter 20 as he is on his way out. It says he breathes on his disciples and looses the Holy Spirit in their lives. So we see this understanding that the breath of God, the inspiration of God, the word of God is creative and important and more than just being first, it is for us to be productive to be fruitful. Another place we see this is in John chapter 1 is Jesus comes, the Son of God comes in no other form but the Word. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and the same was in the beginning with God. And we understand that God comes to us not in a flame of fire. God comes to us not in apparition. God comes to us not even just in bodily form but God comes to us in the Word made flesh. And Jesus, we understand in Hebrews 13, 8, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And not just for the sake of the sameness, but the word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, to divide even the soul and the spirit. The word, Hebrews 4 and 12, is meant to change us, mold us, shape us, tweak us. If we are reading the word of God, if we are encountering Messages and sermons, but never feeling hurt, never feeling tweaked, never feeling something that needs to change or go or heal or be different. I would submit to you, it's not the word's problem, it's something in you. The word, the word is meant to be productive. Some years ago, Justin Schumacher preached a phenomenal message on Psalm 119, the longest psalm. I'm reading through Psalms right now, and I'm not looking forward to getting to the day that I have to read Psalm 119, because it's a long one. 
And he did something so beautiful. He replaced every single verse in Psalm 119 has either a rule, had the word rule or law or commandments or some other synonym of that kind. And what he did was he read Psalm 119 and inserted the name of Jesus in every, in every verse and recognized that Jesus, the word, is that which is meant to be productive in us. There's this hauntingly beautiful moment in Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dry Bones. Ezekiel 37, the prophet is writing, it says, the Spirit of God took me up to a place. Now understand this is a vision he's having, but the Spirit of God takes him to a place where there's a valley of dry bones. It says they were very dry. There's no muscle, there's no sinew, there's nothing, just death, nothingness, brokenness, emptiness, no hope. And the Spirit of God asks the prophet, can these dry bones live? And the prophet says something just absolutely genius. He said, God, only you know. First admitting, I don't know. Come on, somebody needs to admit, I don't know. Somebody needs to admit, I need help. It's amazing what God can accomplish when someone is available. It is mind-numbing how limited the creator of the universe is when someone bypasses and always has the attitude of God's God, God's going to do him. Well, God will just come rushing in. God will break it down. No, God stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. How do you know that? Because the Bible says that. Because Jesus doesn't wrestle people to the ground. He waits until he's invited in to have a conversation. Hello, somebody? But the prophet is taken to this place and the Spirit of God asks him, can these dry bones live? Can that which has only death and no hope, can that begin again? Can there be a freshness? He says, God, only you know. And then the Spirit of God tells the prophet to prophesy a certain amount of words, certain specific words. And the prophet prophesies those words, and all of a sudden the bones begin to rattle. That which has no hope, that which is only laced with death and dryness, begins to take on forms of life and then begins to come together and begins to move into a new being, a new flesh, a new existence. All based on the inspiration, the breathed God's word. I would submit to you, this isn't just poetic language. This is typology for what God's word is meant to be able to do in your life and mine. That which has no hope, prophesy to it. Ask God, what can happen here? And then when he speaks to you, speak to that. Don't just allow your internal jacked up narrative guide you into your future. But say, God, what's going on here? And then shut up long enough to hear what he has to say and then begin to speak that into existence. Well, that sounds stupid. Yes, it's, it's, it's absolutely crazy. I'm not here to try and admit that it's not. Speak to those things that are not as though they were, Paul says. But God word, God's word invites us to two things. God's word invites us first and foremost how to go. 2 Timothy 3.16, I've referenced it a couple of times. All scriptures breathed out by God. Now please, 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 can we please use 2 Timothy 3.16 on ourselves before we use it as a weapon on anybody else? 
All scriptures breathed out, inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. God's word shows us how we are to go, how we are to relate, how we are to travel through this life and circumstance that we are in. God's word will show us how to go how to treat other people, how to treat ourselves. The second thing that God's word does is it shows us how to grow. Next slide. Or, excuse me, this is the former point. No, go back. Happy New Year. (laughs) If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you're in a place where you don't understand, ask. Ask God. Well, he won't speak to me. Have you tried? Yeah, I tried once. So again, I have a bit of an older vehicle. I believe I mentioned that in the introduction. There have been often times where I try to turn over the Nissan. I try and turn on the Nissan and it goes click. I don't know about you, but I have never heard the click and then just walked away. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> no, let's do that again. Oh, I didn't push the clutch in. Or even if I did push the clutch in, I don't know about you all, and maybe I'm just stupid and slow. That's fine. But I'll sit there, and Jude's like, Dad, I think we need a new... Shut up, dude! I'll do that thing like six or seven times, and that's a car. How much more opportunity should we give the Word of God in our lives? Because I submit to you, none of you go out to your car, and if it's dead, you don't turn that thing once you're click. That's dead. I'm going to just go inside. No, you turn it a couple times. You open up the hood. You have no idea what to do with the hood open. No idea whatsoever. There's not a button there. There's never been a button there. There will never be a button there. You just think, well, this is what I do. But the word of God, you look once, you're like, ask. And then grow. Go to the next slide now, Charity. Thank you. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How can a young man keep his way pure? I love this. Because people ask me all the time, how do I do this? How do I grow? How do I engage this season? How do I walk into that? By guarding it according to your word. By, by taking the word of God and holding it in your life and reading it and investing it. Man, I don't understand Leviticus. Then don't read Leviticus. Leave that for another day. Let's do an epistle. Let's do a proverb of the day. There's one. I don't know where to start. What day is today? The fifth, Proverbs 5. There's one for every day. These things are echoed as Jesus says, follow me. Because his word is meant to help us go. And the second portion of that scripture, Matthew 4, is that he says, as you follow me, I will make you. Follow me and I will make you. Those who are going to prepare communion, if you could come now. God's word invites us how to go so that we can grow. Jesus, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And maybe you're here today and you don't want to go fishing for men. <laughs> maybe you have a passion to teach. You have a passion to support. You have a passion to own a business. You have a passion. Whatever it might be, I believe that as you go in God's word, he will grow you into who you're supposed to be. Go ahead and stand with me this morning. It's in this context that I'd like to celebrate communion.
I would like us to be confronted with what God desires us to be confronted with, which is his presence, his Jesus, the bread and the cup, reminders of who he is, that we would stop remembering all the other things that are going on in our lives and instead remember who he is and what he has done. We would remember his lordship. We would remember the foundation that we stand upon, which is his name, his personhood, his power. And so, Father, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for your word that molds us and shapes us. As we celebrate communion, God, let us be mindful of who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Just come on down and get uh, the bread and the cup. Nancy and Brenda have gluten-free. Jesus and, and Danny's just going to lead us in some worship. God from whom all 
sing slow praise them all creatures here below praise them above the heavenly host praise for the sun It's a cracker, it's either rice-based or wheat-based, depending on the belly circumstance. And juice, it's white grape juice. It's meant, as Jesus intended for it to be, to be an interruption to our lives and our circumstance, that we wouldn't just be thinking about what we're always thinking about, but we would pause and think about Him. We would pause and think about who He is and what He has done. And so, Jesus, we thank you so much for your sacrifice on the cross that, yes, indeed, saves our souls, but then ignites us to be givers of mercy, ignites us to be celebrators, ignites us to be grateful, ignites us not just to receive good, but to do good. Thank you, Father for that interruption this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We partake of the bread and the cup. Once you do that, if you could just grab your seat. I've got a, about 45 minutes left I'd like to speak to. No, just go ahead and grab your seat. I want to share a couple practical applications. This talk, I hope, hopefully, was, was beneficial. But the application of God's word, actually getting it into who we are, that is the ticket. Unfortunately, osmosis doesn't work. I don't know how many times in college I literally fell asleep on my books, not because I was studying a long time, because I thought maybe, just maybe, something would pass through the blood-brain barrier and lodge into my knower. I'm here to tell you that 2.7 GPA does not constitute that. You can uh, listen, we, we preached a series on Galatians this past summer. I'd encourage you to go listen to the message on June 2nd, Galatians part one. We spoke about the word and the place in our lives. It's got some informative pieces to it. But I'd like to offer you all some thoughts. It's important to have a balanced diet regarding the word of God. Different ways we can read the scriptures and engage them. First, there are devotional readings. Maybe you have a little devotional book, Max Lucado or Phil Yancey or somebody else. These are random readings of the scriptures as a source of inspiration. They are wonderful and they are beneficial and so is dessert. Dessert is amazing, but you shouldn't eat it every meal of the day. And if you do and you wonder why you keep getting sick or not feeling good, it's probably because you're only doing one thing. We're supposed to have a balanced diet. I believe in devotional readings. I believe in devotional reading plans. Asa reads one. Jude reads one. Before they do anything else in the day, I'm like, hey, have you done your devotions? No, go do your devotions. It's setting something into place. Devotional readings are wonderful, but they're part of a balanced diet. Another piece is Bible study. We've got some great groups being offered in the next week. Some of them are going to be biblical study. This is systematic, in-depth investigation of a passage, topic, or theme found in the Bible. Again, wonderful to be paired with devotional reading. Also, one that I've found to be very beneficial in my life is meditation. 
committing scripture to memory and reflecting on it through the course of your day. And might I add, it's really hard to be rude when you're thinking about God's word. I remember when, when Holly was uh, just being raised up in the church, Holly Webb, and she would have this like janitor's ring filled with index cards. At one point, I think she even had them on the dashboard of her car. I was like, what do you have those there for? She's like, I read them. I'm like, just look at the road. What are you doing? But committing memory, maybe putting it as a background on your phone so that every time you look at your phone, the 95,000 times that you pick up your phone, you could encounter the word of God. That, guys, meditation is not hard. You don't have to sit in the lotus position. My knees would pop out of joint if I did that. It might just be, oh, that's right. Love Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, that's good. Oh, love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay. How many emails? Love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's beneficial. Some suggestions as well. Find a version of the Bible that resonates with your soul. Maybe you don't like the English Standard Version, which we read here on the regular. Fine, get a different one. New King James, King James, the message. Find a version that resonates with you and read it. Allow it to impact you. Other suggestion, know your season. Different times, I read in the mornings. My job allowed for that. Other seasons, my job didn't allow for that. I read in the afternoon. I never read at night because I fall asleep. If you need help falling asleep, read Leviticus. Third suggestion, don't move the scriptures out of your life. I understand in a world that abuses the Bible, that uses the Bible, that this is why you should hate them. This is why you shouldn't accept them. Can I tell you today, that's not what the Bible's for. And so we have a propensity to kind of push it away because people use it wrongly. Don't move the scriptures out of your life. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and be right here immediately following our gathering, maybe you you're not ready to make that commitment, but you'd have a couple questions. I'd love to have that conversation with you. Or you'd love to be, just go a little bit deeper with God. This baptism, the Holy Spirit, what does that look like? What does that feel like? I'd love to pray with you immediately following our gathering. Justin and then Holly will be down here as well. Uh, we'd love to just, wherever you are, with Jesus, with his Holy Spirit, we'd love to pray for you uh, this morning. What I'd like to do, we're gonna do this a little bit different, at least over the course of this season, this series. And in fact, Next week when you come back, because you're all coming back and you're gonna bring four friends, and we so appreciate it. But we're gonna do our dog, our direction of gathering, our liturgy a little bit different. We're gonna have some pieces that'll be practical applications of who we are and who God wants us to be and some things that he doesn't want us to move. That we're gonna engage them together in different ways. But I'm gonna read the benediction and we're just gonna post it and leave it just for about 30 seconds. And Danny's gonna just worship, lead us in the presence of God. I want you just to meditate, just think about this benediction and then we're gonna read it again. Maybe we'll even all try and read it and have absolute failure and confusion unleashed on the church. We'll see how I feel. But a benediction. May we make firm, consistent, and productive what God offers us. May we each day make space to read God's word and hear his voice. As we read God's word, may we allow it to read us. 
and his whispered word to change our most determined minds. If you want to sign up for a beginning conversation, make sure you bring that card to the new place immediately following our gathering. If you'd love to pray and receive Jesus in your life, we'd love to have a conversation. Or maybe you're just more interested now than you were before, we'd love to have that conversation as well. A few of us will be down here following our gathering. And don't forget, I know you all said at least two alerts for a devoted conference, but you're going to get registered for that next week. Right, ladies? All four of you said right. Okay. I feel so confident. But let's try and read this together, shall we? This is going to be so awkward. I grew up in a church where we did this kind of thing. And there was a guy, I'll never forget him, there was a guy that didn't read rhythmically. He just read straight through. Like periods and commas were just a mere suggestion that he couldn't be bothered with. If you're that guy, we're glad you're here. But just know you're going to finish before we finish. Amen? All right. May we make firm, consistent, and productive what God offers us. May we each day make space to read God's word and hear his voice. As we read God's word, may we allow it to read us and his whispered word to change our most determined minds. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better. We love you all so much. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.